My name is Sebastián Rojo. I'm the coordinator of Spaciotech uh, Computer Museum in Argentina. And you're listening to the Seen World podcast. Okay. <clears throat> so, hello. Welcome Hi. to the Seen World podcast. This time with Dennis. Hello. And Jörg uh, for the intro. Um, yes, well, so in a minute, I will be talking to... Uh, Mike Tucker from Bitmap Bureau um, about a Xeno crisis. <laughs> and, and interestingly, that is an interview where you haven't been a part of because you couldn't. Yeah, there was a power outage at my place in Hamburg and um, it took around two hours. It was terrible and never experienced something like this before in a, such a huge city. And so I was offline completely. <laughs> wow, and this well, in 2023. Yeah. yeah. Almost feels like South Africa, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mm. Like like the moon, like the moon. Like the moon. Yeah. Alrighty. But before that, we have some news. I don't know, did you also have some news or are the news on me? I think the news are up to you. It's up time. to me. Alrighty. Alrighty. So um, the famous developer, Matt Phillips, who did uh, the Tanglewood Mega Drive game and who came to fame because he bought an original Mega Drive dev kit for that, um, he announced on Twitter today that he um, and his team is responsible for the development lead of Red Dead Redemption so the first part, ported to the Switch PS4 coming on 17th of August. Isn't that something? Quite, a, quite an old game, but still alive. Yes, it's also especially interesting because it has never been ported to the PC. Mm -hmm. So people like me who have a Switch, it will be the first time that I can actually experience the game. Which is nice because I have Red Dead Redemption 2 on the PC and I always felt like something is missing because I never experienced the first part. All right. So yeah. interesting yeah. to see how it technically works on the Switch, how, how the frame rate is and how yeah. the graphics I mean, are. it was interesting when the latest Doom was released. Um, it was also said that um, technically it's impossible to port the new Doom to uh, the Switch, but the developer panic button made it po possible. And then the second game afterwards was Wolfenstein 2, also from panic button. Mm -hmm. So Bethesda has been really lucky to find those guys that squeeze in the most um, into that. And you also have to you also have to take into account that um, that the resolution is actually different when the switch is in docking mode compared to a mobile uh, mode. In a docking mode, you have full HD. In mobile mode, you only have two seven hundred twenty p. So that yes. means the games have to alter resolution. Yeah. 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 And it also means the frame rate is different and the game has to be 
optimized for that. So we know, thanks to Panic Button and Wolfenstein 2 and Doom, that it is possible to port various resource-hungry games to a very um, um, well weak switch. But that's also some that's something that always has been a part of ports since the, the 80s, basically. I mean, think of um, Lemmings. That was told to be never possible on the C64 yeah. and has been ported. Um, just to name one of one of those games, you know. And also, that will be a topic with uh, um, with Mike Tucker in this interview today, because they also announced that's also a news part that you now can pre-order a normal and limited edition of Sino Crisis for the Super Nintendo slash Famicom, Super Famicom. And the uh, interesting thing here is that the Super NES slash Super Famicom has a different resolution than the Mega Drive. Yeah. So they yeah. actually had to alter the play field because they they didn't opt for scrolling in the game for the port. So that's actually a thing, you know? That's correct. I think yeah. it's pretty impressive because the Super NES yeah. has quite a weak CPU for such action games. Um, I'm pretty curious how this works out. You're, you will find more about that in the interview because that's yeah. a big part of the interview, actually. Yeah. So yeah. don't miss it if you're interested mm. in that. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And interestingly, there would have been not much to say about the music part. So you would have been not able to nerd out yourself there because for the Super NES port, they simply added more more ROM to the cartridge and the soundtrack and samples, the digital samples, is all samples. So speech and sound effects and music is all sampled and just played back during okay. the game. Yeah. Okay, interesting. Yeah. yeah. Very interesting. They did, that. they did that. So the soundtrack sounds exactly the same as on the Mega Drive. So it's actually the same technique they did for the Neo Geo slash arcade version. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. So and that is also by the Super the Nintendo. Exactly. And that's also why the Super Nintendo version is a bit more expensive than normal Super Nintendo games nowadays because of the additional coprocessor and mm -hmm the additional memory okay interesting to get all the sample data in the cartridge and the calculation that's also part of the interview cool <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah interesting so so that's not so much to say about the music there um anyways more news would be that um um, somebody called Senfa on Twitter, he made a joke video promo about Street Fighter um, morphed into Tech Fighter Turbo play on that fight that's coming up and will be streamed according to Elon Musk between Zuckerberg and Elon Musk. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. That's a very, very funny thing. If it will thing. happen, if, if it will happen, actually. I'm pretty sure it will. I'm pretty sure <laughs> it will. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm pretty sure it will. Yes, and also uh, another thing I totally missed, and I found it out, thanks to Amazon, actually, be, because of, of their 
you order this, you might that you might like the other. <coughs> Sorry, um, you order this, you might like the other item too. And that's actually that a new Double Dragon game has been released on the Switch, PlayStation 4, and PlayStation 5 on the 27th of July, which is awesome because um, a Double Dragon is one of my favorite parlor series. Yeah. Um, I have all three double trackings on the arcade as a pcb i do have the um the um the double tracking two on this um, mega drive which is quite rare and um yeah and the nas of double tracking two the nas version which isn't rare by the way and i also love the uh, c64 version of double tracking two especially with the converted music by dave low absolutely amazing so it's um it's actually interesting that there's a new one it's called double dragon gaiden rise of the dragons okay okay yeah interesting. yeah yeah so that's basically well and and there's one thing um one last thing i also found that the article from um, Gandhi, uh, last Obirai, actually from the uh, Amiga Disc Mac Jurassic Park, has now been published early this year on, on his homepage in an online text version about why Disc Macs have totally gone out of fashion. It's an interesting piece. Mm -hmm. And he also mentions Scene World as a not very typical Demoscene magazine, so it's really worth reading it. Okay, cool. Yeah. And last but not least, you and I and a lot of the staff from Scene World and Eva Romina, Rom, Ramona Rohleder will be on Gamescom actually. And um, that will be amazing. Yeah. And um, yeah. See you there. We will present our disc Mac and Eva Ramona Rohleder will present her um, um, a twisted tale point and click adventure game. And we also plan, I hope that works, to have a prize giving there. So don't miss, don't miss out. Yeah. We will most likely be, as always, in the uh, family and friends era at um, the retro area. And that's actually in Hall 10.2. Yeah. Cool. Nice. Yeah, well, that would be it. And now I would say um, let's jump to a huge jump to Great Britain and talk to Mike Tucker about a Xeno crisis. <laughs> All Enjoy. Right. Today we have another guest for the podcast, and this time it's Mike Tucker, Design Director of Bitmit Bureau. Hello, Mike. Welcome to the show. Hey, Jörg. Uh, yeah, pleasure to be here. Hopefully I can uh, give you some interesting insights and anecdotes. But I'm pretty see. sure. I'm pretty sure. I mean, you are most known for Xino Crisis, which is a game that's, <laughs> that's still released for new platforms that it hasn't been released before. Uh, too and it's it's amazing because um 
just a few days ago, last weekend, you dropped that the Super yeah, Nintendo so version is in the works. So it's yeah. super amazing, you know. Wow. Oh, yeah. It's, Wonderful. It's, uh, it's pretty much finished. But uh, and yeah, we've got other platforms lined up as well. Um, we did sort of quietly announce the Game Boy Advance and PlayStation 1 versions a few months ago. Uh, but yeah, even then, we've uh, my colleague Matt and uh, well and, and Gavin in particular, that, those guys are looking at uh, other ports too. So expect uh, expect some more news in the, uh, later this year, I think. Wow, wow. So um, normally we begin with the the obvious. How did it start for you to to get into computers and video games? What was your starting point, actually? Um, I think uh, what got, hit, what hooked me on arcade games in particular was Xevious. Uh, um, so I remember playing that as a kid at a uh, what we call a fish and chip shop. So I was on, on the holiday in Cornwall, which is in the very southwest of England. But um, yeah, this was uh, early 80s. And back then, arcade games were just everywhere. It, you know, there was an explosion. Uh, so you find them in cafes, um, recreation centers, pubs, uh, but yeah, fish and chip shops uh, as well. So. Um, yeah, I remember my mum and dad uh, taking me to get fish and chips, uh, and there was a Xevious cab, and next to it there was uh, Nemesis, which is the um, European version of Gradius, of course. And yeah, that that just hooked me really, especially Xevious. I think just the, the amazing cab design and the um, the music really stuck in my head as well. And I just love the game design. And uh, yeah, uh, after that, I just wanted to just play more and more games. Really, I think I was. I might have played games before that. I can't really remember, but that's the one game that really sticks in my head. Uh, so yeah, that beca that began a, a love of video games uh, of any type, really. And uh, at school, I had friends with uh, various types of computer. Uh, the ZX Spectrum was very popular in the UK. Uh, we also had the Amstrad CPC. Uh, one of my friends had that, which I think was probably. Was that known as the Schneider in, in Germany? Exactly, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I, I think that was quite popular in Germany, from what I remember. Uh, I had another friend with a Commodore 64, which was a great machine, uh, BBC Micro. And yeah, we used to just go around each other's houses and just, just play games. And uh, yeah, if I, couldn't, if I couldn't get to an arcade, I'd, I'd be playing games at my friends. And <laughs> yeah, I was just absolutely hooked. And um I think when I was 10, my parents got me my first computer, which was another Schneider. It was a Amstrad PC 1512, so a DOS-compatible you know, IBM clone, if you like. Uh, so, yeah, that, that got me into um, tinkering with DOS and a little bit of doing a bit of pixel art and some very basic code. Um, and, and, yeah, that was, that was a, a great starting point for me, I think. Um, so it all built from there. Um, yeah, my second machine was a Sega Mega Drive. So, you know, uh, I saved up uh, for quite a few months to, or might even been years, I can't remember, but uh, to get that. And yeah, that had a real impact on me as well. Uh, just just uh, yeah, when you unbox a new machine, it's, uh, it's magical, isn't it, when you're 12 or 13. So um, that's true. That's yeah, true. That, was, that was my starting point, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's a bit similar for me, but here in Germany, Nintendo was like half of the price compared to the Sega machines. So, oh. so I had all everything in Nintendo instead, you know, because oh. 
I remember, especially for the Game Gear, you could get two games for the Game Boy instead. So uh, you get more bang for the bucks, you know, so to speak. Uh, no, uh, uh. No but but I, I always heard that in other regions of the world, like UK, it was the other way around. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, weirdly, the Master System really caught on. Um, I mean, it's a great little machine and some, some cracking games for it. But uh, yeah, I think maybe the Nintendo came a bit later or maybe the price point was wrong or maybe people were slightly subdued by the, yeah, the, the Master System's range of colors. But actually, uh, I would say the better games were probably on the, on the NES. Um, and yeah, looking back, I, I would have loved to have had a NES uh, before the Mega Drive. But um, yeah, I, I, yeah I, I count myself lucky to have had a computer when I was 10. You know, my, my parents worked very hard to get that for me. So uh, and then, yeah, to get a Mega Drive, um, that was, it felt like a good evolution for me. Awesome, awesome. So, so the the law for the Mega Drive is the reason that Xenocrisis was made for the Mega Drive first originally. Uh, as part of the reason, yeah. Um, myself and my colleague Matt, we you know we're both big fans of the Mega Drive, uh, but we had to thank uh, Stefan De Longueville. Uh, he created the SGDK, which was a, a software development kit specifically for the Mega Drive which uh, it gives, gives you a very good starting point. So it was largely down to him, but also uh, Matt Phillips, who created Tanglewood. He, um, he showed that there was enough interest in new Mega Drive games to warrant a, a Kickstarter, uh, and yeah, which he succeeded in, and that inspired us to do the same. And uh, yeah, it's, oh, um, okay. Interesting. it's done well for us, yeah. Wow. But it's, it's very rare, I mean, I don't, I can't remember of any other game that was so much ported on many other systems like, like Xenocrisis and still is ported <laughs> yeah. on, on, on new, new platforms nowadays. And um, I was actually surprised when last year, when, when I bought um, the Mega Drive version, I, I saw that... Um, that certain regions of of the game was sold out, and yep. normally for games it's like if the store says it's sold out, that's it. But I just saw like yesterday you are restocking them. So Xenocrisis, despite it was originally Kickstarter, if, if I'm not mistaken, that's you right. are still producing more and more copies of the same platforms, including new ones like the Super Nintendo. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we're, we're trying to keep the production run going whilst there's enough interest. But um, yeah, eventually it'll reach a point where, you know, we, we can't sell any more copies and we'll probably just uh, stop production maybe of the Mega Drive. Um, yeah, for example, we've sold out the American Dreamcast version. So I, I, it's probably not worth us doing another run of that. Uh, but yeah, my um, my colleagues, uh, Matt and Gavin, they're, they're uh, very, very good programmers. And they uh, they love a good technical challenge, so they're always looking at different uh, platforms uh, for our engine to, to support. So um, yeah, we announced Super Nintendo last week, and there will be more platforms coming uh, later in the year as well. 
So let me ask you, how did that idea of Accenture Crisis happen to be? I mean, for me, as a Commodore 64 user, um, I always loved Smash TV, the C64 version, and the gameplay is very similar to that. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, and as, you, as you're well aware, um, Smash TV was a sequel to Robotron. Well, kind of. <laughs> Naturally followed on from it. Uh, and that in itself was inspired heavily by uh, Berserk, you know. So, so yeah, th those were games that we we looked very closely at. And yeah, I was a big Smash TV fan as well, particularly on the Super Nintendo. And I, I felt like the Mega Drive conversion wasn't too hot, so we we felt like we could improve on it a bit there. But we we threw in the Alien theme, uh, gave it quite a gritty look and feel, uh, added a great soundtrack, and it all just gelled together really. It felt like the, the right game at the right time. Uh, and we had the, the right team to pull it off with uh, yeah, Henk Nieborg uh, leading the art, uh, Catherine Manabde doing the cutscene work. And yeah, Savage Regime, uh, the Swedish maestro uh, writing the soundtrack. So yeah, it was a good team and it all just flowed super nicely, which is, is unusual in game development. Is that so? What's normally, what's normally happening? <laughs> according to your experience then uh it's well yeah it, it really helps if everyone's on the same um same page so to speak you know if everyone's got a good vision of how the game is going to end up uh and everyone's enthusiastic it just just makes life so much easier but yeah sometimes you'll have a i don't know maybe one or two members of your team will will uh, they might have uh, who knows they could have any kind of problem really but um yeah, they, they might disappear off the radar for a few weeks um, or just hit a bit of a wall in terms of uh, progress, whether that's a coder or an artist, um, maybe even a musician. Uh, yeah, quite often in development, you hit a bit of a wall. But yeah, with Zeno Crisis, it just, it just flowed really well. So yeah, we uh, were quite, quite fortunate. <laughs> One thing that I always hear in interviews is the last 10% is the hardest. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, I think it's because you do all the fun, easy stuff first, you know, the, the lowest hanging fruit, as they always say. Um, and yeah, you sort of leave all off subconsciously, perhaps you, you forget about all the, or try to forget about all the boring, techie, nitty gritty stuff. Uh, yeah, like fixing bugs and adding this annoying feature, which <laughs> someone's asked for. Um, so yeah, inevitably, yeah, if you're leaving all those uh, awkward things towards the end, you know, it's it does make that last 10%, um, yeah, probably the hardest part of the development. And it, the hardest 10% can, yeah, the last 10% can take a 90% of your time. <laughs> wow. Um, now, the question is, you are doing the game for so many platforms. Um, what was the decision point taken when you decide which uh, features are in which version of the game. For example, um, if you look at the Steam forums for the Windows PC version, a lot of people asked for patches in the forums to make the PC version look or play identical with the features like the Neo Geo um, arcade version, but you, you really didn't do that. Um, 
the PC version is different in that it uses the uh, six by nine aspect ratio and putting 16 by nine, yeah. Yes, yeah, sorry, sixteen by yeah. nine exactly, <laughs> and putting more details like like um, displays of how much ammo you have left and so on. But yeah. but you don't have you don't have the talky um, additions to the intro like the arcade version. Yeah, on the yeah. other hand, so so what was the decision point there? Um, well, with the modern versions, um, yeah, they went ahead. They progressed more quickly than the Mega Drive version. Um, yeah, we actually had a bit of an inf unfortunate incident. Uh, my colleague Matt, he um, he sustained a head injury. Uh, he, he banged up, yeah, real bad. Um, so he was he was suffering from concussion and migraines for months. And we weren't even sure if we could finish the, the Mega Drive version at one point. So, yeah, I just naturally progressed with the, uh, the PC version, uh, knowing that, well, hoping that Matt would eventually catch up with the Mega Drive version. So, yeah, the PC version and therefore the console, modern console releases came first. Um, and, yeah, it also meant that we had two different code bases. So, yeah, there's a modern and retro code base. So, uh yeah and there were additions to the neo geo version in particular with the uh voice acting so yeah at some point we do want to go back and update the pc version with those those extras uh the feel of the game is largely down to the code of course so yeah to uh, yeah to re actually retrofit that into the code yeah that could be a bit more of a nightmare uh, but yeah i mean we might be able to do something on that front. Um, yeah, because we're, we're actually working on a new system at the moment. So, oh, yeah. But then but the problem is, if you do that, you might upset the people who... <laughs> that's exactly... Yeah, you are cannibalizing your own market by the, yeah. by the people who bought the Neo Geo version as the superior version. And suddenly, for... I mean, in Germany, you are selling it for 14.99 euros. Uh, something like, yeah, yeah, yeah like, exactly. Oh, and, that's right. Yeah, and, and so and so you are getting more for the, a, a lower price just because it's the PC. It's kind of difficult here, right? You cannot please everybody. That's exactly my thought. Yeah. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, um, we do try to please every, everybody, but you know, um, yeah, it's, it's a losing battle sometimes. Wow. Now. Now I, I made some assumptions for the Super Nintendo version and I'm, I'm not sure if I'm correct, but it sounds like the soundtrack of the Super Nintendo version is actually sampled, right? Exactly. Yeah. To yeah. sound exactly like the Mega Drive. Yeah, which will either, <laughs> it, it might surprise people. I'm sure it'll surprise people. It might annoy some people. I don't know. It's such a good soundtrack that uh, it just made sense to sample it and, uh, you know, let everyone enjoy it, even the Super Nintendo owners. Um, and I think if we commissioned a, a Super Nintendo, uh, the SPC 700, uh, you know, rendition of it, I think it would have sounded quite different, uh, probably quite a lot softer. So, so yeah, it, and also with what we've got in mind for our future titles, we want, it made sense to try out that tech now. So, uh, yeah, um, it might annoy a few people, but um, when it comes to our next few titles, it, you, you'll see the benefits of it. 
<laughs> so so is that kind of um run as a as a hobby project because with Sino Crisis you have so much success it's it more looks like you can make a living out of that by the sheer numbers of copies you're selling over the vast variety of platforms. Oh yeah, I mean we've um, we've always been full-time games industry professionals. Well, yeah, professionals subject to term. But, but for uh, the Mega Drive, it's a different. Yeah, it's a it's a much more niche market. Um, but it's it's a good it's just a fun challenge for us, and just seeing something on the Mega Drive is it gives you a real buzz. And I, I think we feel more at home on the Mega Drive because, you know, uh, previously we've been making games that look retro and try and feel retro. But unless you're working to those specific uh, technical restrictions, you know, it's um, you're kind of faking it. <laughs> so, so to put something actually on the Mega Drive or the Neo Geo or Super Nintendo, it it, it just felt right to us. And yeah, we we now feel at home and uh, we found our our niche, so to speak. But yeah, I mean, the Mega Drive, you're not going to sell anywhere near as many um, copies on the Mega Drive as you would on uh, the Switch, for example. Um, but it's, yeah, it's, it's a bit of fun for us and it gives us a bit of, um, it helps with marketing the game as well because, you know, a new Mega Drive game, it's, it's something that catches the eye, I think. You, you mentioned Matt Phillips earlier and I remember he was mostly praised for being one of those mad persons getting an original um, yeah, Mega yeah. Drive development kit. Mm, yeah, he's crazy. Uh, <laughs> no, he's clearly a great programmer. Um, but yeah, it probably made his life more difficult. You know, we, we were using more modern tools. I mean, we still code in Notepad essentially, but um, you know, using uh, Stefan DeLongville's SGDK made our, our life a lot easier. And uh, yeah, uh, actually testing through emulation rather than going through the hardware all the time is probably a lot quicker and gives you uh, better debugging. So, um, yeah, I'll take my hat off to him. But, it's, uh, yeah, it's uh, he, he's it's cool to see someone do it, you know, the traditional way. But it's uh, at the end of the day, people just care about the game, don't they? There's probably not too many people who... Uh, bought the game just because it was <laughs> created in such a fashion. But yeah, incredible work. <laughs> awesome. Um, yeah, I mean, you mentioned you mentioned uh, troubleshooting and debugging the game uh, in the modern way. How do you actually handle it compared to the Mega Drive having so much clones and different versions? And with the Mega Drive, you have this special, special situation that in Brazil, they are still produced in a mod in a modernized but slightly incompatible way to other modern games what yep. was the point there did you actually go try to find all the niche models of the mega drive and make make the game compatible to there or did you say uh, we just try our luck and see what's what's going to work in the end um yeah we needed to acquire every Mega Drive motherboard variant, really. Really? Uh, yeah, yeah, we, we, well, we went as far as we could. So we got all of the official models. I forget how many there were. Um, we've got something like, I don't know, it must be 30 or 40 Mega Drives in our office. You know, I know, all, I know, it's, it's, uh, it's crazy. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, we, 
we needed to make sure our PCB worked in every single one um, because yeah, if you just put if you just throw it out there and you know you've got uh, a few hundred people who <laughs> got this particular oh maybe it didn't work on the Mega Drive two or the Mega Drive three um, you know it's going to be very costly to uh, sort out that mistake so. So yeah, we're we're always very thorough. Whatever platform we test, uh, we develop for, we will try to acquire every single motherboard variant, which is very time-consuming and expensive. But um, it just means, at the end of it, we get a better quality product. And yeah, we don't. It's very rare that we we find a machine that our games don't work on. Um, wow. Yeah, yeah so <laughs> I think initially our, our PCB, our Mega Drive PCB did have an issue, but we, we quickly uh, sorted that out. Um, but yeah, obviously it's, um, yeah, you don't want to be uh, recalling like hundreds of <laughs> cartridges. It's, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, bit of a, could be a bit of a nightmare. And on the other hand, you don't want to run into situations like Paprium did that doesn't work on on whole series of certain serial numbers of the PCB of the Mega Drive and stuff. <laughs> oh, yeah, I heard something about that. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's it. Yeah, you can get very complacent. I think, uh, you, you know, if it looks like it's working on one Mega Drive, you might then assume it works on all. But um, no, you, you really do have to, um, uh, yeah, try and test it on absolutely everything yeah like the uh the mega cd for example uh i don't think we got a jvc xi uh, that's a pretty rare one um we might not sure about wonder mega but i think it works on the wonder mega but yeah there's so many mad variants of the mega drive um luckily super nintendo is not as bad um and neo geo i think there were five variants maybe five to seven um But yeah, it's it's a big part of what we do. And uh, yeah, if you ever come to our office, you'll see, yeah, you know, dozens of consoles just just awesome. sat on on, on the shelves ready to uh, to be tested. What's your opinion about the clones? How did you go about that? Those we did get a tech toy Mega Drive. Um, we got the Genesis Free. I know it's not a clone, but it's a pretty rough bit of hardware. So yeah, um, oh that was it. Yeah, it was the AT and T games Mega Drive, and the, oh, the, oh this 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 one is brutal. The AT and T Mega Drive, especially the first model they produced for Europe, that was brutal. I remember I got a German version of Dune 2, one of the rare games for the Mega Drive that was released in German for the Germany uh, for the for the market in Germany, and when you put the console on the PAL version because it has a little switch on the bottom oh. and and then the game doesn't start with the warning this game is for european market only so for some reason the um early eight um, um at games clone of the mega drive actually misdetects um european games as ntsc for some reason so Ooh. yeah uh yeah that doesn't surprise me it was it was a strange machine um We found the audio in particular was just oh, awful, um, awful. Yeah, and there's, there wasn't a lot we could do about it really. So, yeah, it, it, it worked and <laughs> that was enough. Um, but yeah, you're, you're kind of fighting a losing battle with some of those uh, systems. Yeah, the, the hardware is so bad, but 
you know, you just have to say, yeah, as long as it works, then wow, <laughs> we'll okay. let people make up their own mind. <laughs> but awesome. I would always, always try and I would try and play on an early Mark One myself, uh, a Japanese Mark One, uh, so you get the, the the best sound and hopefully the best RGB output as well. Um, now the thing is, you seem to develop on the 60 hertz NTC version first because I saw the demo video that you put on YouTube about the Super Nintendo version. You actually mentioned that it's running on a 60 hertz um, a Famicom rather than a 50 hertz uh, Super Nintendo. So, so you develop on American on the American consoles first, despite you are a European company, or how oh, to yeah. understand? 100%, yeah, I've, um, when I got my Mega Drive, it was, uh, yeah, at the age of 12 or 13 or whatever it was, it was a Japanese 60 hertz system. Uh, so to me, that's always been, yeah, the benchmark. That's how you should play. That's how you should be playing Super Nintendo or Mega Drive or PC. Interesting. Interesting. So, so when I played on a, a PAL Mega Drive, yeah, I think I, maybe I played Sonic. That might be one of the earlier games. Uh, play but it, it just felt completely off you know it it was it's only um what 16.75 percent slower but but yeah it just felt really sluggish and it has the borders at the top and bottom so for me uh well for us um yeah the standard is 60 hertz that's really how you should be playing games <laughs> i know the power in power regions um yeah i know we had 50 hertz um enforced upon us i don't know if that's still the case in germany really do, do, do many people stick to 50 hertz now or? It's, it's still it's still the it's still the thing so even the hdmi tvs and so on are all working with 50 hertz yeah really oh, yeah okay. yeah yeah that is actually why when the um when the c64 mini was released um and and in America, most TVs to this day can't handle the 50 hertz Paul signal. So many YouTubers had a black pictures when uh, they first tried the European release on the American televisions. They were like, oh, why, why, why don't I see anything, you know? <laughs> but while, while in Europe, while in Europe, we have this fortune that, that for some reason, I guess it's the same in UK, we can handle almost all the signals. Yeah, yeah, we can, but uh, I, I, I always insist on 60 hertz. It's, it's <laughs> interesting, super interesting, never knew that, okay. Yeah, I mean, 50 hertz was the standard over here, so yeah, it was, st it was still around in the PlayStation 1 era, maybe PS2 as well, uh, but with HDMI, I think everything moved to 60 hertz, luckily, from what I remember. Uh, yeah, I remember Dreamcast games having 50 hertz options as well, but yeah, 50 hertz feels off to me, you know, uh, every frame counts. So, um, and yeah, if you, when you're playing an arcade game, that's naturally 60 hertz as well. So, yeah, um, so our games will work on power machines, but they will be a touch slower. Um, but, you know, power, power players will be used to that, of course. <laughs> but, but you care enough to fix the music speed and so on. Yeah, we try and keep it as close to uh, you know the original <laughs> 60 hertz. Um, yeah, I think the main thing is that uh, the action is a touch slower. But yeah, the music naturally uh, that's really important to us, so it needs to play at the proper speed. Yeah, which is interesting because back then in the 80s and 90s, most publishers didn't care. They were just looking 
at the game it doesn't crash that's good enough but many many um, games have the soundtrack playing too slow i think one of those favorite uh, one of those examples was uh, robocop 3 for the nes they oh, yeah. never released a proper version for the european market so actually i had to i had to buy an an american version to play the game in the right speed and getting an american nas so so um so i can play that because the nas in contrast to, to the super nintendo and the um, game gear you cannot easily or at all switch between the two modes ah okay yeah but it's good that i know about the xeno crisis being released for ntsc uh, primarily because i have a switchable mega drive perhaps okay. i should try it on there and see what, yeah, what it does definitely try 60 hertz yeah you yeah you might be surprised it's um yeah i i, I always tell people to get a 60 hertz machine you know um oh. I, and i always bought japanese machines so so naturally yeah i just grew up playing 60 hertz and 50 hertz just felt weird <laughs> but um I, no. I, I get that a lot of people do have power machines yeah yeah i mean i mean i mean aside from the nerds like myself most people don't really care to get their um systems multi-region fixed you know yeah yeah, yeah. i think with, with the mega drive it's quite easy though it's just a, a simple switch isn't it so i think exactly. it's worth I think it's worth doing. Um, then you get the best of both worlds, uh, and also the the region switches worth adding as well. That's that's true. That's true. Yes, but I only have one game that doesn't work if you don't have implemented the Japanese switch, and that's actually Afterburner. Oh really? It, it crashes if it can't find the Japanese uh, shard set for some reason. Ah, uh, okay, right. Yeah, I remember Streets of Rage, I think, had a region lockout as well. That was one of the earlier ones, perhaps. Maybe Streets of Rage 2, but, but uh, yeah, that's going. <laughs> that's uh, testing my memory there. <laughs> it is that, and that's actually super interesting because um, the Afterburner release I got from the Drive has no single char in Japanese. Oh, <laughs> so. yeah. yeah, that's right. It wasn't, I, I don't remember any Japanese text. Um, no, even even in the options menu. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, so that's strange. Don't know why that would happen. <laughs> yeah. So for some reason they they for some reason they made a lockout for for it anyway. I mean, nowadays you are more like you buy whatever the cheapest version is if there is no known difference in the gameplay. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I prefer Japanese packaging myself, but. Uh, yeah, actually, sometimes the Western packaging is better, but um, so yeah, I generally collect, collect Japanese stuff myself. Yeah, unless you're, talk, unless you're talking PC games, then it's uh, always the um, yeah the Western releases. Yeah. So, so let me ask you one thing. I mean, I saw on the Wikipedia entry of the game, you have much more platform supported of the original um, release than that you can order on the store still. For example, in the store, I didn't see the PS Vita version for sale. Yeah, that was um, produced by East Asia Soft in a, probably a limited capacity. Uh, I don't know how many, maybe four figures perhaps. But um, So yeah, they, they sold that pretty quick. And uh, I think we've only got a couple of copies for ourselves, you know, so 
So unfortunately, I, yeah, you'll, you'll probably have to get on eBay to find one of those. Uh, they're very hard to come by and very expensive. Same with the, the Switch. The Switch. scalper uh, market. Yeah, sorry, but <laughs> yeah, we um we try to avoid those scenarios because um, yeah, we don't want people paying over the odds for our games. But yeah, if a publisher comes to us and they can get our our game onto uh, yeah uh, yeah the Switch or the Vita, then it's yeah naturally we have to go for it. But they're not they're not going to do like a run of a hundred thousand copies or anything crazy like that. They just they would just um, do what they think is appropriate, and if they sell out, they sell out. Unfortunately. Is it actually a secret, or can you spill the beans? What is the most sold version of the game? Most sold? Depends if you're talking digital or physical. I mean, any, anything, really. I mean, I guess there's no physical version of the PC release that I know of. No, not yet. I'd love to do a big box release, but um, yeah, maybe that'll happen one day. Uh, I think the Switch, from what I remember, is our biggest seller, yeah. Um, Yeah, the Switch generally, I think, outsells PlayStation and Xbox these days. So, yeah, I remember it doing very well on Switch. Wow. Okay, that's interesting. I would have thought that perhaps the PC version is the most sold because it can reach more region of the world. But okay. yeah, well, that's what I've heard anyway. But um, yeah, I, maybe things have changed. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I, I do. Remember, yeah, you're probably right. I, I think the PC version would be up there as well, but. Yeah, last thing I heard, the Switch was probably our biggest seller. Yeah. Wow. So, so how is it actually? I mean, we mentioned it. We mentioned it um, a bit earlier before the recording that um, you are producing new copies by one person or something. For example, <laughs> for example, I'm still waiting for my Neo Geo um, MVS version. Yeah. Yeah. So they're all produced by ourselves, like in the house. Um, so yeah, we get the various components uh, made uh, in China, for example. Uh, the printed materials are mostly done in the UK. Uh, but yeah, uh, we, we have a warehouse where we put everything together. But um, yeah, we don't have anyone right now who's dedicated to doing that. And we're trying to sort that out because myself and Matt, we spend quite a lot of time putting the copies together and we'd rather be programming and designing. Wow. <laughs> so, so yeah, it, yeah. If you if you get a copy of the game, then it's probably been made by myself and Matt. Uh, so yeah, we we got we got involved in every part of the process, even the shipping as well. You know, we would be wrapping stuff up, putting it into a, a bag to be given to the Royal <laughs> So it's a lot of work. Um, but yeah, we're trying to get more help so we can spend our time doing uh, what we what we should be doing. Really, yeah. Awesome. I mean, it's it's awesome that you actually can can sell so much copies of um, of a niche market and and sell the concept to many many modern platforms as well i guess many many people who buy who buy the game never played um you know the mega drive themselves because of the age group shifting towards yeah. younger people now absolutely yeah uh yeah i mean we're trying to educate people a bit i suppose but um yeah yeah if, if people uh, pick up the Switch version and they've never heard of a Mega Drive, then yeah, it's a, it's a shame, but yeah, we're not gonna, we're not gonna refuse their money. So. <laughs> but True. yeah, we, we hope, um, yeah, we hope a few people have uh, learned a bit about the Mega Drive after, after playing Xeno Crisis, yeah. 
I've seen on the store that you actually offer the Super Nintendo version as a limited edition, and uh, it's a it's a black cartridge. So how much limited is it? Should it should I pre-order it right away, or can I wait a bit? Oh, uh, we'll send you a copy, Dara. Um, but yeah, we we need to know roughly how many to produce. So we'll we'll probably shut off pre-orders. Uh, well, we're we're shipping in December, so we might shut off pre-orders in November, for example. Oh, okay. So, okay. And then, yeah, then we'll know how many to produce. But yeah, right now, I don't know what that figure will be. Oh, that's that's good to know because we had we had limited run games earlier in the last episode of our podcast, and oh, yeah. we we talked about the times where you had five minutes, and then then the pre-order was over. Oh. Uh, in the early days, and it was like, oh. ah, you know, there's even a term for that in English. It's called fear of missing out. FOMO, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah they, they were the masters of that, weren't they, really? And, um, yeah, we, we like to give people a good amount of time to, to grab us, you know, grab a, uh, you know, a copy of our games because not everyone has money to hand yeah, during these, uh, um, these sort of... Uh, pre-order windows so so yeah we don't yeah we we don't want um people going without our games so yeah we usually have pre-orders open for a good few months uh and with the standard edition that will be available for as long as there's interest really so hopefully another year or two at least wow yeah i mean i mean the um the mega drive version is now five years old four years old Pretty much. I think um, we released the modern versions five years ago and the Mega Drive version came, I don't know, maybe six months later. So, so yeah, it's about four or five years old, really. Yeah, but yeah, still, there's still love for it and we're still, yeah, bring it to new platforms. Uh, and that will, that will help us with uh, the eventual sequel, um, which we're hoping to start this year. Wow. Okay. Yeah, hopefully. Um, <laughs> we're kind of busy now. Oh, wow. Well, I mean, I mean, I have to admit, I'm very happy that you're still selling the Mega Drive version because I was very unlucky because I didn't know about the Kickstarter until it was over. And then I pre-ordered a copy when when Piepacker Reader was announced. Oh, yeah, yeah. And that was having an offer for Xenocrisis physical release. I was like, okay, I go for that. Then they cancelled the project. Yeah. And yeah. then I was like, okay, so I'm I'm buying it secondhand from eBay. Oh and no, there, there, yeah. there it got lost by the postal service during Christmas. Oh no. <laughs> that was like, okay, now now I have to I have taught it a third time. Now I'm going and buy it from your store. And that's interesting because in the fine print of your store, you say you don't take care of the import taxes and stuff but you actually do because oh, we do. Oh, that point is updating now yeah um yeah with brexit everything got really messy and um yeah i think everyone was receiving like uh vat and duty bills and it was uh, and yeah for each country it was different as well um but yeah we're now using i think it's ioss so where yeah. we where we can, we will pay the duty ahead of time, so you, so our customers don't get a nasty surprise when they receive their game. But, uh, but the thing is, the limit is one hundred fifty euros. 
Yes. That means for my MVS order, I will have a nasty surprise, unfortunately. Uh, well, we'll try and we'll try and bump the value down. To, yeah, we can say it's a, you know uh, a sample or something. So yeah, hopefully, hopefully you won't have to pay anything on that. It's, it's interesting because actually your store is smart enough to calculate that in. So the price gets deducted on checkout, but before you sign in to the store, you actually the the original price for uh, EU, and then it's it's going down. So you know, okay, the original price was higher. That's probably what I have to pay or upon arrival, kind of. So you made it pretty smart. I, I was very very um, surprised. Yeah, because the problem here in Germany is that the postal service charges you for the service of paying it in front of customs for you. So it's yeah. six euros 90 prepayment fee by the oh. German Postal Service. Thank you, you know. And oh. I was very happy when I saw you already took care of all those those IOSS things. Yeah, it's, it's been painful, but um, yeah, it, I think the end result is worth it. Yeah, it just makes for a, a better experience for our customers. Um, I mean, but, it's actually by law, but many companies don't follow the law, to be honest, you know? <laughs> yeah, I know, I know of one or two um, publishers who are, uh, yeah, they're a bit loose with the law. And uh, yeah, they do, they've got certain practices, which means, uh, well, no, I, I can't go any further, but yeah. Yeah, but, but actually my original question was, um, did it impact the the sales or, or the business for you at all in the uk because the game was actually well with the kickstarter going on and so on it all happened in between did that hurt you in any way oh, what's this do you mean brexit yes yes yeah uh yeah it's an absolute mess and I've, i had no interest in leaving the eu i voted to remain um but yeah because 50 two percent of, of the people who voted in the uk wanted to leave um the, the government went with that decision and it's um yeah i think it's been a disaster for the uk really uh, it's caused us a lot more administration and paperwork and bureaucracy um it's probably cost us money in terms of uh, pushing off customers based in the eu who want to buy from us um but yeah the process has improved since then but it's it's still not flawless by any means so so yeah uh, it still it still annoys me um hopefully we'll, we'll rejoin the eu sometime when uh when people see sense but it, it could be sometime yet i think uh, it could be decades away who knows but but yeah it's um uh, certainly not does us any favors that is actually in particular why it's a shame that the Pipecker deal fell through because that was like, wow, I'm getting the same game and I don't have to pay extra because they are shipping from Paris. That would have yeah. been perfect for me. And I guess I guess many other customers were in the same situation where they were like waiting for a cheaper way of getting the game. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, we're working on that as well. Um, we're hoping to be able to distribute from within Europe. Um, really? Hopefully, wow. hopefully in the next year or so, but we'll see how developments go. But um, yeah, that is something we're looking at, yeah. <laughs> so I, should, I should have made it with my big orders then. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. And if you need anything, just, just ask. Yeah, we'll, we'll send it to you. It's not a problem. 
Uh, you don't have to, yeah, you don't have to play in school. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it's interesting. I mean, Xenocrisis is so successful that you even have a big black market, unfortunately, on eBay and AliExpress. Yeah. So I, I wonder, are you do are you doing anything against it? I mean, especially um, our dear watermelon um, <laughs> example, for example, the uh, the game has such a the Peprium has such a strong copy protection that it doesn't work on some versions of the Mega Drive. And yeah. for this Casino Crisis, you didn't seem to go over engineering and putting protection into it. Precisely. So I wonder, I wonder, isn't that kind of painful to, to say, okay, we are not making the, um, the design too complicated, but on the other hand, it means it can be dumped easily and reproduced. Yeah, well, we always had it in our mind that we wanted to sell the, the ROM um, so people could enjoy it through um, you know, emulation or SD devices. Um, so, and yeah, we wanted to produce a PCB that was uh, OG, you know, it's, um, the original uh, sort of tech, so just a, a 32 megabit cart uh, with no helper chips or anything like that. So yeah, and, and we did that, and I, I think um, we did a good job in squeezing as much out of the Mega Drive uh, and that PCB as we could. Um, yeah, the side effect of, of that was, uh, and also making the ROM available, was that people could very easily um, put together their own uh, clone carts, which yeah, it, it sucks, <laughs> uh, and you know it's it's it was always going to happen. Um, but in some ways, it's uh, yeah, we we see it as flattery that <laughs> people are going to those lengths to uh, to copy our game. Uh, but yeah, it also happened with the Neo Geo version, and yeah, these these clone copies are popping up on Amazon as well. Um, and we've tried to we try shutting them down, but if you shut down one. So uh, another pops up, and it, you know it's just like whack a mole. <laughs> you can't win. <laughs> so so we just gave up on that, and we just hope that um, anyone who wants a genuine copy of the game will come to us. Uh, but with the Super Nintendo version, uh, yeah, we we wanted to avoid that if possible. So we have, I think, just the complex nature of the board design itself should should be enough to prevent. Uh, most pirates um, cloning it, but time will tell. How do you go about preserving? I mean, at some point, there's also a committee which we also interviewed, um, for example, the Japanese Game Preservation Project. Oh, yeah. Um, where, they, where they told us a lot of Japanese companies actually protecting themselves against getting... Um, archived their stuff um, so they don't have they don't have a public access to their archive for, for that reason so did you think about about it long term what will happen if bitmet bureau doesn't exist in the future and as to say the super nintendo um, uh, version is now more complex so it won't be as easy to copy how about preserving it then um, I've not considered that at all, really. Um, but I think these carts should be around for a long, yeah, probably longer than I will. So, um, 
you know, uh, I, I don't know. It's like um, it's like people on like vinyl records, I guess. You know, we've still got a few collectors out there, but give it another 10, 20, 30 years, will, will the young generation really care about preserving Mega Drive games? Or I, I don't know. I can't see it happening really. So I think uh, this this generation might be the, the last one that really um, uh, you know enjoys and tries to preserve uh those retro games yeah um but yeah it's it's not it doesn't it doesn't um stop me sleeping at night let's say um, but it's cool that it's cool that people want to preserve these games um and yeah especially stuff from the 70s yeah, 70s and 80s which are you know obviously now at risk of being lost forever i think that's really important um uh yeah, because uh, there's there's so many great titles out there and a lot of unreleased stuff as well. So, yeah, if we are able to um, preserve some of it, that's great. But um, yeah, Zero Crisis, you know, <laughs> I think um, I think there's enough copies in the world to uh, <laughs> to last for a few years yet. Did did the sheer success of the game surprise you by its capacity? Um, yeah, we we were surprised. Yeah. Um, uh, and 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 happy, of course. Yeah, it just meant we could take the company in a new direction. Uh, we were ex just making games for Steam and Switch and Xbox and PlayStation and so on. But um, yeah, as soon as we realised there was uh, a, a good enough market uh, on the retro side of things, yeah, it just um, really opened our eyes and it made us want to pursue that even further. Um, but of course, we, we still support the modern platforms. So, and we're trying now to make sure that our code base is the same across all versions. Um, but yeah, we, we still get people um, send, send us yeah, nice words via Twitter and email and saying how much they enjoy the game. Um, and yeah, we just want to give them something uh, really special over the next few years, really. Uh, Xeno Crisis was, I think it's, I'm, I'm really, really happy with what we did with it, but I know we can do better, so. Uh, that's Even why. better. Ooh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so can you spill the beans? What's what's going to be better in Xeno Crisis 2? Oh, can I, can I, can I say... I, I can't talk I'm about... sorry for the hard questions today, but... Oh, no, it's, no, no, these are good. Um, yeah, there's going to be big technical changes, which I can't talk about. Um, but in terms of game design, uh, yeah, I want to have multiple playable characters with their own... Uh, techniques and weapons so at the moment yeah the, the male and female characters are pretty much the same so I want to have well to start with four uh, very different playable characters so yeah if you play the game with any of those characters it will feel quite different um, also more of a adding a bit more explore, exploration uh, alternate paths uh, better storyline, uh, Easter eggs, secrets, um, quite a better variety in stage design as well. So, yeah, I won't, I won't go into too much, but uh, yeah, it, it's just going to be a, a bigger, better experience all around. And yeah, Xeno Crisis is very much an arcade game that it might take 40 to 60 minutes, uh, but I want Xeno Crisis 2 to be a game that even after you've completed it a few times, there's still things to see, there's different routes to take, or maybe if I play this route with this character, 
you know, it, it's it's quite a different experience. So um, yeah, it'll be, it'll be more of a console title than a, a than an arcade title. That's that's how I see it. So, Does that uh, mean it will be easier because many yeah. younger players co consider <laughs> the game too hard? Yeah, I mean, I, I think many older players consider it too hard as well. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's been a common complaint of well, maybe not a complaint, but a comment that's passed on a lot of. Uh, the games that I've designed over the years that they are they are hard um I think it's just because I grew up playing games in the arcades and you know um which were always quite brutal anyway and but even throughout the 80s and 90s games were just generally tough weren't they so um yeah I need to we need to uh soften them a bit um and yeah respect Respect the player's time. That's a, that's a, a phrase that I hear quite often. Um, so yeah, we'll we'll be looking at like save points, uh, yeah, more frequent save points, um, and more difficulty options. And yeah, I, I think um, when I develop the game, for, <laughs> that should be the, like the hard difficulty level. Um, and then I, I need to soften it from there, really. Um, but yeah even our easy mode is is, is tough so um yeah we've learned quite a bit with um final vendetta and battle axe as well that uh, we need to make our games more accessible so uh yeah you can expect um uh, progress on that front with <laughs> our future titles so it's a bit like duke nukem a piece of cake level uh yeah that's it i mean we we did add, we did add a casual mode to uh final vendetta which yeah gives you infinite lives um and yeah i think some people enjoyed that but then we had other criticisms where people were saying oh it's oh it's too easy i completed that on my first go so <laughs> yeah now i don't know if it was you who commented co commented on that on the youtube video but there was one guy saying that the first boss shima she's flashing too hard yeah 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 a lot of, again that's a quality of life um improvement that we need to consider as well for our, our other titles, yeah, future titles. Uh, it might be that we can uh, we can probably update you know, the modern versions with with a feature that turns that off because yeah, there are obviously many players with photosensitivity issues. So yeah, we, we need to be sensitive uh, to those people ourselves and uh, yeah, do what we can to make uh, the, their experience more enjoyable. But I hope I actually was the one that we replied saying, I hope you make that optional for people oh, yeah. who don't have the photosensitivity issue. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it should be an option. Yeah, uh, because, yeah, for us, the old school gamers, you know, that was quite, that was just the uh, the normal sort of feedback you got from uh, whenever you hit an enemy, particularly a boss, it would just flash rapidly. So, um, yeah, we, we wouldn't take it out. It would be an option that you can turn on and off. How about a VR release, by the way? <laughs> VR. Um, I don't really do VR. It's um, I don't get on with it. I just it just makes me feel a bit ill. Um, and I think it's here to stay. Uh, obviously, it's going to continue to evolve. Um, but we're kind of going in the other direction. You know, we, yeah, the modern. <laughs> I think uh, a lot of the modern big AAA developers are going towards. Uh, you know, VR and these hyper-realistic experiences, but we, we like providing uh, an alternative to that. Uh, but yeah, we, we, we might be looking at 3D in the near future, so 
VR might also <laughs> become an option, but um, yeah, I don't think I'd be able to <laughs> develop it myself because of um, yeah, again, the issue I have with um, yeah, motion sickness. So oh, okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I mean, there is an alternative. You could get you could get one for the uh, Game Boy VR. Ooh. Oh, do you mean the Virtual Boy? Uh, sorry, uh, yeah, Virtual Boy. That's, yeah, that's yeah. yeah, I got that totally wrong. Virtual Boy, in all red, you know? Uh, yeah, it could be uh, <laughs> whatever. If anything's going to give you a headache, I think it's that thing. But um, yeah, it, it could be a device that we look at in, in, in the future. Um, really? Seriously? Maybe, okay. Maybe, maybe yeah. Uh, I mean, it's Nintendo Tech, so shouldn't be too big a jump from... Um, yeah, Super Nintendo and Game Boy Advance that we've uh, yeah we've been playing with recently. So, but yeah, I mean that's uh, it's probably quite far down the list because we've got other uh, bigger platforms that we want to hit first. So, what is what is the biggest challenge to to convert the game? Which platform? I mean, for the Super Nintendo, you said the the soundtrack is sampled, so you just add more RAM to it and. <laughs> Uh, uh, or bigger ROM, I have to say, bigger ROM, and yeah. problem solved. But but is it always that easy to make Xeno Crisis compatible and a good experience on all platforms? Or was it actually a very challenging one where you were like, wow, I'm not sure if we can pull this off? <laughs> well, I think the Super Nintendo was the machine that gave us the uh, the biggest doubts because it's uh, 256 pixels wide compared to uh, 320, which the Mega Drive and Neo Geo use, also the Dreamcast and so on. Uh, so yeah, it's um, it's a weird display, and the, the pixels actually to fill to fill a four by three aspect ratio screen, the pixels are actually slightly stretched. So um, yeah, we we weren't sure how to tackle that. We we, we were considering redrawing all of the artwork. Um, but that would have been very time consuming and it, yeah, we would have lost quite a lot of the fidelity and the detail. So um, we also considered scrolling the play field as well. Um, but that's not great if you have two players because you could both potentially end up off screen. Um, so, yeah, in the end, we just realized we could take out um, four rows of tiles, sorry, four columns of tiles uh, to essentially... Yeah, make the screen narrow to fit that two, five, six wide display. And yeah, ju we just needed to uh, rejig some of the map generation code, well, the room generation code. And that was enough, actually. We've, we found that it still looked and played fantastically well. Um, but yeah, that, I think that's been one of the biggest challenges, really getting, getting going down from 320 to 256. Um, but yeah, the other platforms, uh, a lot of it's down to the, when you're talking about a cartridge-based platform, you know, getting the PCB designed and perfected, that, that's often months of uh, very expensive work. Wow. Uh, so yeah, um, but luckily, yeah, we've done that now for Mega Drive, Neo Geo, and uh, Super Nintendo, so that's... Um, and Nintendo 64, or? Yeah, of course, yeah, we did that as well, yeah. I think that was one of the easier ones, actually, from what I heard, but <laughs> luckily I don't do too much of the technical coding. Uh, that's mostly down to uh, my colleagues, Matt and Gav. But, um, yeah, I think Matt did that pretty quick, yeah, in, in pretty quick time. Um, 
So yeah, it wasn't too painful. How about the Game Boy Advanced? I I, I remember that um, the Game Boy Advanced actually, when when games when games were ported from the Super Nintendo, uh, the Game Boy Advance often was used to emulate other games' modes. I remember for F Zero, for example, that on the Super Nintendo it uses Mode Two. But on the um, Game Boy Advance, I've seen a video about it. They don't have such trickery modes for the graphic modes and scrolling and so on. So they actually emulated some some bits. How how is it for Xenocrisis? Um, you are not using any trickery, so it's pretty easy to um, convert to the Game Boy Advance. Yeah, that's it. I mean, it's really a tile-based game, so yeah, the backgrounds are made up of. Um, either 8x8 or 16x16 tiles. Uh, the sprites are generally, you know, 16x16 or 32x32. Um, and yeah, for, for the more modern platforms, we have to take a different approach where we draw uh, textured triangles or quads. Um, and the Game Boy Advance, I think the architecture is very similar to the Super Nintendo. Um, although the Game Boy Advance version actually was developed first. So, um, oh. Okay. Yeah, so that that's that, that was I think it's about ninety five percent complete. But then Matt Matt and Gavin thought they would uh, have a go at the <laughs> Super Nintendo for a bit of fun, and and that actually uh, came about pretty quickly um, after we uh, after we got the PCB design sorted. Um, so yeah, uh, you can expect to see more of the Game Boy Advance uh, in action soon. But yeah, in that one we do have to uh, pan the screen around. Uh, but of course, it's only one player, so I think it. I think we can get away with that, and it, it looks and feels um, pretty nice, actually. Yeah. But you could use two players. I mean, there is a link cable for the Game Boy Advance, no? That is true. Yeah, but we've. Um, I think we just kept it as one player. Because, oh, I suppose two player. Mm, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe it could still happen, but yeah, as far as I know, we're just sticking with one player because. Um, yeah, adding two-player support will probably be, you know, it could add another, I don't know, six months work, who knows. But, um, yeah, uh, yeah, I think it's just going to be one player and, uh, yeah, with uh, a bit of panning. Like, like you see in Final Fight, uh, Final Fight has uh, used panning as well to, um, to make everything work on the, uh, the shorter uh, Game Boy Advance screen. Or you make it like some releases of Micro Machines, where you just orient, orientation-wise switch the console around, mm. the screen around, and then people can use the buttons and the um, and the control uh, the D-pad mm -hmm. as alternative control inputs. That was kind of weird. I they did that on the uh, Game Gear, so you had a two-player mode where you switch the console around, yeah, and then. You have like weird control mapping, so you can have two players on the same consoles. <laughs> yeah, it's really inventive, but uh, yeah, sadly we've only got. Well, Game Boy Advance only has. I know it's got two buttons plus the triggers, um, but yeah, it's, it's control options are a bit limited for a Xenocrisis, <laughs> unfortunately. But yeah, that's a cool idea, though. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, perhaps you could do it with Xenocrisis too. I guess when you make a successor, you will also port it to as many platforms as possible. Yeah, that's it. So we've got all the tech now. Um, so yeah, Xenocrisis 2 should be, 
uh, getting onto the retro platform should be quite a bit quicker. Uh, but yeah, we just have to be careful that we don't over design the game and <laughs> that it, yeah, it's not compromised on certain platforms. But um, yeah, we've got we've got a pretty solid, solid idea of what we can do technically. So um, yeah, we'll probably start prototyping uh, later this year. So compromising, is that the reason why you didn't make a Game Boy version? Uh, an original Game Boy version, not Game Boy Advanced? Uh, yeah, I, I think Game Boy Color has a bit more processing power. So that's more, yeah, more likely to happen. Um, but yeah, again, you've got, you've got just the two buttons, which is a bit awkward, um, but yeah, it's not impossible. Um, but yeah, it means recreating all of the artwork for, uh, yeah, the monochrome screen. So that's, that's where a lot of the work has to go. Um, but yeah, it, it could happen. Um, yeah, it's not, not really a platform we've looked at too much, but it's, yeah, it's, it's in the back of our minds, let's say. <laughs> but yeah, again, as I said earlier, we've got a, we've got a list of platforms that we want to hit first. That's actually an interesting thing I didn't really know the answer of because um, when when I bought the MVS gem adapter, the seller from from Ali AliExpress he told me that the MVS version of Xenocrise only uses four buttons, not not five or six. So I guess you are using an alternative input method for the arcade version. Um, no, it should follow the standard um, Neo Geo protocol, as far as I know, it's just, yeah, the standard four buttons, uh, select and start, are, yeah, reserved, I think, by the system anyway, um, for pausing and so on. So, yeah, I'm not sure what he meant by that, but um, no, it just uses the regular A, B, C, D configuration. So that means that means you can't use the, the fire buttons for directional shooting, that is what I meant. Oh, I see. Um, yeah, we didn't go down that route really because I think it would have been quite fun, but it's probably a feature that only a, a very few people would use. And again, the adding a little feature like that, it, it might not sound like too much work, but it, it kind of snowballs, and you, you know, you could be looking at another six months of um, development, then testing, and uh, yeah, we just didn't consider that it would be worth it really. Also, the game. Although it looks like a twin stick shooter, you really need those two extra buttons to, to roll and, and grenade. So, yeah, even if you had the twin stick setup, it wouldn't really be practical to um, keep uh, letting go of the yeah the right stick and hitting the uh, the roll or grenade button. So, okay, yeah, that was another reason why we didn't didn't think it was worth pursuing. But the uh, the, the Dreamcast has got a great twin stick controller, of course, with the um, the trigger buttons for fire and the the top button for, um, sorry, what was it? Trigger button to, I oh know it's the left trigger, sorry, the left thumb button for grenade, right thumb button for, for roll, I think it was. But yeah, that that's the one twin stick controller that works great with the game, other than a yeah, PlayStation 4 pad or Xbox controller. How repetitive is it for you to design the game for so many different platforms? Isn't is it someday like, oh, not the same game again, just a different platform? Or do you actually appreciate the challenge? There's not too much work involved for me personally. Um, it's it's just it's really it's just control mapping, mm. uh, and I might get asked my thoughts about one or two little features. 
uh, like vibration or uh, saving the high scores and settings, that kind of thing. But yeah, the biggest challenge is always, yeah, how do we get these controls to work on um, this new controller? But since the game is designed for three buttons on the Mega Drive, yeah, if it, if it works on that, then you can probably get it to work on anything after that, really, such as, yeah, Super Nintendo, PlayStation 1, um, Switch, N64, you know, it's uh, Dreamcast as well. So, so yeah, you, I think you have to aim for the lowest common denominator and <laughs> work up from there, really. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's worked well. Uh, it was probably quite fortunate that, that we designed a game that uh, could work across so many platforms. Which is interesting that you mention it because the online playing cloud platform JamGG actually is using Xenocrisis in its six-button configuration. Ah, okay, I didn't know that. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's obviously uh, Pie Packer, isn't it? That's their rebranded name. Um, yeah, I don't know how easy that is on keyboard, but they probably have joypad support, I guess, which... Uh, which helps, yeah. <laughs> I'm always using this, so uh, okay, good, good enough I'm, for me. <laughs> I'm a keyboard player, so um, I'm I'm one of those freaks, you know. And I play, I play cross-handed as well. So <laughs> wow! <laughs> I don't know why. I think it's because of my arcade roots. Yeah, my left hand has to has to move, my right hand has to, you know, hit stuff. So so yeah, That's I always play like that. Yeah. <laughs> so that means I have to. Well, reconfigure my head a bit when I play on the arcade machine, knowing that I can't use the fire buttons for redirectional shooting. Yeah, yeah, yeah but you've got the rotational controls, which helps a bit. Um, but yeah, uh, I think the Neo Geo is probably the, and the Mega Drive, they're probably the most uh, trickiest to control because of the lack of buttons. But, but yeah, the, Super, the new Super Nintendo version, of course, feels great with the, um, the Super Nintendo pad. With the face buttons to shoot and the uh, trigger triggers to roll in grenade. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, well, um, so any other future plans you can mention before we end this interview that you can oh. spill the beans off? Oh, we've got so much happening. Um, so much happening. <laughs> so, so, uh, so much of it's under NDA, so I'm, I'm not even oh. allowed to talk about it. Um, but yeah, we've got a huge title that's going to be announced. Uh, I think it's by the end of the year. Uh, we're working with a, yeah, a publisher came to us a couple of years ago um, with a very cool license. So um, yeah, we're working on a game based on that. Uh, and that'll be coming to modern and retro platforms. Uh, then there was another game that they uh, signed us up for. Um, and yeah, since then we've had other approaches. Um, and yeah, we've got other uh, tech that we're working on, which is really going to uh, shape things up. So, yeah, anything I can reveal? I don't think so. I think our biggest reveal was um, Super Nintendo. But yeah, all the other stuff I can't talk about, which is really frustrating. No, no problem. No problem. No problem. <laughs> I mean, I'm happy enough that you agreed to do this interview. I mean, I'm, I'm actually not sure how much how much other interviews you've done about the topic so far. Oh, I've done a few on Zero Crisis. Yeah, it tends to be mostly me because Matt's. Matt's very busy, uh, and he uh, he, he generally leaves me uh, to these things because generally they don't get too technical, which is good. Anything real, real technical, he has to deal with. But um, yeah, they don't come along too often, luckily. But yeah, I'm I'm always happy to talk about uh, what we're doing, and uh, yeah, especially Zeno Crisis. 
Awesome, awesome. So, so where can people find all the games and the copies and releases? What's the main hub you have? Um, well, we've got our own online store, so that's um, shop.bitmapbureau.com. Uh, we're also on Twitter, Facebook, uh, Instagram to a lesser extent. But um, yeah, our, our tag is just Bitmap Bureau, so quite easy to find as long as you can spell it. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, we, um, we, we also have a mailing list as well, so we try to keep everyone updated. Um, I, I really like to open a Discord as well so people can chat to us a bit more freely. Um, so yeah, hopefully that will happen soon as well. But um, yeah, if, if, you, if anyone wants to get in touch and ask us anything, then yeah, our, our Twitter DMs are open or yeah, you can uh, email us on contact at bitmapbureau.com. Thanks, thanks a lot. Thanks no a worries. lot. Okay, All right. talk to you then. Bye-bye. <laughs> See ya. See ya.